Hey, everyone. We want to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast, Roosevelt's. You may know Roosevelt's as the company who makes those rad all-over print button-downs with just about every franchise that you love. They, of course, have Star Wars, because this is a Star Wars podcast, but they also have Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, NASA, WWE, The Office, Nickelodeon, Rick and Morty, Friends, all kinds of other stuff, including new lines from Yellowstone and The Godfather. And not just button-downs, but t-shirts, they do shorts, jackets, hoodies, koozies, flannels, so many different kinds of items, so many dope designs. So if you're interested in picking something up for the first time, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER to get 20% off of your first purchase. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. My name is Adam Russell. Adam Russell, this is Nick Gambari and I'm home. How are you? Hey! Who else is here? Hey guys, it's Mike Forster. I'm not cosplaying as Nick Gambarian today, but yeah. maybe I'm cosplaying as Ryan Key. Yeah, there you go. I could be. Why not? I'm a little hairier, but... You could still cosplay as, as Nick with Nick here. You could, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Sure. Still works. I'm wearing my Jedi robe but it's a Jedi bathrobe. It's my new favorite thing that I own. Nice. It's wonderful. How was tour, Nick? Welcome back. Uh, I'm the tiredest I've ever been in my life, still. <laughs> it was crazy in good ways, crazy in bad ways, uh, exhausting. Happy to be home until celebration, basically. Good times. Many, many new Bayside fans out there. That is great. Yeah. No, it was uh, absolutely the best tour we've ever done. Nice. Which is a great feeling. That's the answer I was looking for. Playing the new songs. People knew them. That was cool. Yes. Good stuff. Wow. Speaking of cool things for bands. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Nick, that when uh, I was on our local radio station here with my band the other day on 105.7 The Point, mm -hmm. uh, we did like a takeover kind of thing where we played the songs we wanted. We talked about the new stuff or whatever. So I wanted to play my friend's bands, played Bayside and He Is Legend, but... In classic radio style, they only had what they had in the library. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> they played something from a few albums ago. They just kind of picked one. I said, okay, that'll do. <laughs> That's okay. I'm not from St. Louis, but now I'm a fan of St. Louis. So I tried. I appreciate the effort. It's the thought that counts, they say. We need more fans in St. Louis. I'll tell you that much. So thank you. Well, you got at least two, three more, at least from that. That's great. Whoever was listening. That's great. What's the uh, the coolest 10 capacity venue we could play? <laughs> Uh, there are plenty of little shitty venues here. That's for sure. Um, I could talk about my band, but there's not time because my band... We have a new record out, so you should talk about it. Hey, what's up? It's out. It's good. We like it. We had a, an album release show and it ripped. It was one of the most stressful days I've had in a couple of years, but it went off really mm -hmm. well. We had crazy production. Mm -hmm. I felt like poison out there. The lights looked so good, dude. Dude. That was dope. Our guy here just hooks it up. And also, where did the album end up on Billboard? Oh, um, I don't know on Billboard. Come on. But on the Spotify charts for new releases, number nine. Yeah. Yeah. That's like top 10, dude. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> don't worry. I teed you up. I appreciate it. Um, Miley Cyrus was number one, of course. That makes sense. And then the seven between us, mm -hmm. literally never heard of. Yeah. I'm officially too old to know anything about what's going on in music. It's uh, three YouTubers, a Disney <laughs> Channel uh, kid. Yeah, a couple TikTokers. Sword of the Year, Miley yep. Cyrus. 
it's good stuff. Either way, album's doing well. It's getting played on the radio like a lot. It was number 37 two weeks in a row on um, Active Rock Radio, mm-hmm. which hasn't happened since Page Avenue. Whoa. Yeah. whoa so whoa. that's where you want to be, man. It's pretty the cool. Active Rock. Feels active, you know, mm. not passive. I'm pretty sure it's because the fans actively listen to rock music. <laughs> I think that's what, what it means, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what the genre means. Yeah, of course. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Star Wars because I need to edit this thing and go to the airport at 5.45 a.m. to go to Indonesia and Australia. No big deal. One of which I'm excited about. (laughs) All right, let's quickly just give our immediate reactions to The Bad Batch Mm. and then we'll get into Mando. The Bad Batch, uh, season two, episode 13. It's a bit of a little side quest, mostly like a character relationship building kind of episode. A little bit of action, but... Nothing directly relevant to the larger plot except for the little Sid thing. Nick, what did you think? Echoing my thoughts, who is this show for, once again? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, I mean, Omega needed a friend, and that was the overall plot of this episode, I feel like. And yeah, you're right, the Sid kind of thing at the end was really the only thing that kind of will come back into play, I feel like, but we'll see. Mike, how about you? Uh, I thought this episode was just a highlight of how far Lucasfilm animation continues to push their own creativity. Yeah. Um, the water was beautiful. The sunsets, the mood. I felt like I could feel the warmth on Omega's face when she's like on the boat. I mean, truly like an incredible visual spectacle, spectacle, <laughs> spectacle. It was spectacle. It was very spectacle. So, um, I, like I when you're was... doing like military operations and it looks great, it's spectacle. Yes. Sure. Yeah, that claim it. Copyright it, trademark it, that's here. Um, I thought it was just it was a beautiful episode. Um, I I think of course, you know, it didn't it wasn't a huge plot progressor. Um, but I think just kind of giving the clones an idea of what their life might look like after, and we've been seeing this, like, you know, you have Echo being like, I'm a soldier, I have to go fight with Rex. You have all of you know, Tex kind of like working on a little, like getting getting his groove, mm. like something's going on with tech, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it, and the whole idea of of these people being refugees and the the cost of war, uh, I think was kind of on display here. So not a, not big as far as like our overall plot, but I mean this was a it was a great episode to to chew on for sure. Yeah, I I would just echo everything you guys have said and on that character relationship level it's cool to see you know if you want to kind of plant flags the landmarks of where the relationship between the bad batch and omega and specifically hunter and omega has has progressed there was an episode early on where hunter was like i can't do this for this kid i can't give her what she needs i'm going to dump her off with somebody you know it was a similar kind of side quest seeing how someone else lives seeing another family situation, seeing Omega with people her own age. And Hunter's first instinct was to leave her there, where now we're here. And instead of seeing those relationships and thinking, man, she needs this, we should leave her here again, which I was afraid of for a minute. He's thinking at the end, yeah, maybe we'll stay for a bit. The family's locked in, even though they, they lost Echo, in a sense. The family unit is solidified just by that ending. You know what I mean? Just by that decision to maybe stay, not permanently, but just stay at all and not just be so focused on their mission as soldiers and so on and, and dumping off the kid that is out of his emotional wheelhouse. Right. You know? And the, and the mayor saying, you know, I can't think of a better place to raise a 
you know, as a father, I can't think of a better place yeah. to raise a kid. And Hunter doesn't say like, she's not my kid. He's, he like looks at him like, I could see that. Yeah. Almost like kind of took ownership of that, which mm-hmm. is just kind of furthering his role in regards to, it's almost like Wrecker's the big brother and Tech is the other like older, wiser brother. Mm-hmm. And then Hunter's yeah. dad, you know, in kind of a weird way. So um, I agree. It, it's, it was a good episode. We also caught a little almost kind of smile, if not a smile, just a little, you know, a little up on the sides of the mouth from like the flat <laughs> deadpan that um, the tech always has. I forgot what happened specifically, but he just had a little bit of a grin. Like you said, he's, there's something going on with him. He's growing. Well, also throw in so before, we before we're done with Bad Batch, let's also appreciate a very Temple of Doom opening scene where there was a lot of double crossing. We also have the the poison slug from Attack oh, yeah, the Clones. Yes. Very cool. Yes, yes. Uh, which I loved. Um, and uh, so it it was a really... And then, you know, Echo just like... Or I'm sorry, uh, Omega just like popping back and just dropping that mm-hmm. giant gong on that guy. And then yeah. I think they just... I think they just left it. <laughs> They're like, that. he's fine. He'll be... He'll be... Yeah. He's fine under there. Um, he'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. So it was like... All of it was awesome. It was just very like... You know, the opening scene was very cold and, you know, they're playing a different version of Sabacc and I'm like, yeah, I like, I like that. (laughs) I like Star Wars. All right, let's talk about The Mandalorian and we'll get right into Stolen Plans. What have you done with those plans? The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 3, Chapter 19, The Convert. That's a hell of a title. Had me stoked from Jump. Uh, We can talk about... Who the convert is. We kind of have a Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi scenario. Wow. Nice. Who is the Jedi returning? Oh, nice. Debuted today, of course, March 15th, 2023 on Disney Plus. And the Disney Plus description is on Coruscant, former Imperials find amnesty in the New Republic. Stoked to see Coruscant. Looks so good in this episode. It's beautiful. Oh, I love it so much. So cool. This was directed by Lee Isaac Chung, who also directed a film called Minari, which was the winner of a Best Foreign Language Film at the 2020 Golden Globes. First time for Star Wars, like a lot of directors um, in The Mandalorian. This was written by Jon Favreau and Noah Clore. Noah, Noah was actually credited first. Noah mm-hmm. was writer on the Book of Boba Fett. Don't know much else um, off the top of our heads, but uh, he does have that relationship. Runtime was 58 minutes. Guest starring Katie M. O'Brien as Elia Kane, returning from um, last season. We haven't seen her on this season yet, right? Yeah, we barely even saw her last. I don't. Did she even have lines? I don't even remember if she was at lines in season two. Yeah, she she did have a couple because it wasn't it in the recap. Yeah, but also like Gideon being like prepare my ship, and then her being like oh moving this to blah blah blah, like just very like not not much of consequence, but you could certainly see that there was a reason that she was there next. She was Gideon's left hand officer. So her lines were tactical, but not spectacular. Mm-hmm. Nice. You might want to say. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. One would say. I'm not going to lay this one down. <laughs> and returning the only person in Star Wars ever to wear regular prescription glasses, Omid <laughs> Abtahi, as Dr. Penn Pershing. We learn his first yeah. name. Mm-hmm. My, my Persian friend, Omid Abtahi. That's great. I think you have a more impressive beard. I do. He grooms his too Just much. for the record, in terms of Persian <laughs> folks that I know off the top of my head. Also, looking back on when we were at Celebration last year, like his line was like pretty short. And I feel like now I'm regretting that we didn't go up and just hang with him. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. remember that? 
Yeah. Like I remember looking over and being like, well, I understand why like a lot of people aren't like rushing to go like pay 60 bucks to get his autograph, but he was just hanging out. I'm like, now I'm looking back and I'm like, oh man, this guy's gonna play a huge role this season. Okay. Yeah, he's dope. He's really dope. I'm stoked to see him. Mike, what did you think? What were your first impressions from this episode? Uh I, I I'm glad that it opened up with what you and I talked about last week, right? Where the immediate reaction of Din waking up and us wondering if Bo-Katan is going to tell him about the Mythosaur. Mm-hmm. She intentionally chose to keep that to herself, and that set the tone right there for me, right? That automatically, Bo is like, I got a, I got a subplot going on here. I got... I have information. <laughs> I mean, she literally, and I like how like Din is like our happiest, most useful idiot. Like she's like, how would you see anything down there? And he was like, oh no, I, uh, I hit the ground and I was out. And she's <laughs> like, did you see anything alive down there? And he didn't like inquire like, why? Wow, right. Like, why was he was just like, no, she's like, sounds good, bud. All right, let's get you back to wherever you need to go. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad on. that we got that. Yeah, I'm glad that we got that answered right away uh, to to kind of establish that Bo is Bo. Bo Katan is Bo Katan. Uh, and we have seen her do many, many, many uh, surface level uh, go along with it, but she has ulterior motives for sure. She always has. Uh, so I think that's great that we saw that. But in terms of of the dialogue, I could almost tell it immediately that it was a different writer. So it was not a surprise to see uh, Favreau is not exactly known for this, like these long dialogue pieces where you're you know kind of really chewing at it and it did feel like uh you know an uh, episode that intentionally slowed things down which i think was good but really i mean man i knew that there was going to be some connectivity uh with the sequel trilogy but holy cow like we are booting that down the field um and whoever's saying whoever is not lobbying for a top gun style star wars movie that's literally just flying around was this not one of the raddest spaceship action scene yes she takes her her like corm class and she flips the one wing up and then basically does like a like a e-brake and spins around and blasts that thing i'm like that was so cool it was so rad i love that part it was like so like a snowboard or something you know the way it like you could imagine like digging into the snow or like the water, like a surfboard, you know, the way it, yeah. it, God, it was just so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was incredible. That might've been, I mean, that's some of the best starship action I think we've seen since maybe rogue one, um, mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of just like this, like core, you know, you feel like you're in the cockpit flying along, um, watching Din jump out among all those, tie interceptors like as they fly by him and then he just like basically skydives down to his ship and then pops back i mean everything and then also him like pulling all the way up stalling the engine just like favreau did with iron man and coming back down i'm like amazing so yeah was this episode awesome absolutely it was (laughs) nick how about you what'd you think uh well my first impression was I started to watch The Mandalorian and an episode of Andor broke out. I feel like the entire middle portion was like Favreau and Filoni's uh, not attempt. I, I'm sure it's not an actual attempt, but it seemed more, I don't know, more like insular and like just a focused story that was slow and focused on characters and the monotony of like Pershing's like day to day and all this stuff. So it, it, it came across as a little Andor-ish in a good way. I, I, I was, I welcomed it. I enjoyed the episode. I had that same kind of focus that I did watching Andor where I wasn't missing 
the battles or, you know, lightsabers or the fun. It was just this real focus on what was happening in like a drama sense. And, and it was cool. We learned a little bit. We learned how to watch Star Wars, like dramatic Star Wars by watching Andor. So that helped me enjoy this episode a lot more. I'm, I, I'm just, I'm all for the storyline or storylines that are going to lead up to the, you know, the making the sequel trilogy, uh, become more enriched with whatever's going on with the Mandalorian and probably the Ahsoka series. So I loved it. It was cool. I mean, I obviously want more Bo and Din and Mandalorians, but we got a little bit. That was cool. Yeah, it it did, Mike, just like you said, pick up exactly where we expected and did address the exact thing that everyone was talking about, whether or not Din saw the Mythosaur, whether or not Bo was going to tell him about it if he didn't, and then, you know, capped it with some really juicy Mandalorian clan stuff that has some massive implications. And I'm excited to see where this goes next week and all the dogfight stuff. I mean, immediately before, I mean, it was what seven minutes into the episode. And I was like, this is my favorite part. I don't care what happens. I don't care what happens next. This is it. And uh, then all the stuff on Coruscant was just amazing because not only do we get to revisit Coruscant, which is so massive that, we could go back there a thousand times and never run out of things to see, including like an actual mountaintop mm-hmm. on city street level, which was such a sick concept. I, I love those little details. And then the way that they they really further the now like very, very core Star Wars theme of the gray area in any any of the good guys. You know, the New Republic is already very flawed. And everything on Coruscant is still just as screwed as it ever was. Mm -hmm. You know, the rich elite, not only not caring, but not literally not even paying attention to what goes on with government or, or anything that might affect people's lives. You know, we get those lines from those rich pieces of shit at the, whatever that was that it's, it was at the opera house. The, is it the same one? Yeah. 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 The tragedy of dark plagues, the wise. Holy shit. That was the opera house. I was too tired this morning. I mean, we'll it's in the den, but, but, Again, talking about Andor, it's doing that same kind of thing where it shows that not only does nothing change when the people with wealth and power don't care or just only care about their money and their personal lives, but it it actively makes it worse because we know the rise of the First Order came from something. And if it's a weak and ill-fated attempt at a new republic because of this kind of shit, that makes sense. You know, if the New Republic ultimately is screwed because it was not allowed to be different enough from the Empire or the Old Republic, because there is quite a bit written in, you know, off screen stuff about how Leia was ultimately not allowed. Like she would have been the Supreme Chancellor, essentially, if things had gone down in probably the best case, you know, healthiest way. But she was kind of ousted. Right. Mm -hmm. This is, again, connecting the sequel trilogy, like you guys are saying so. I loved it. I thought it was so sick. The aesthetics, I mean, just everything. I could go on forever, but we don't have time. So let's get in to a synopsis. I'll do this. I'll say that we bookend the Coruscant stuff with Din Djarin and Bo-Katan waking up on Mandalore, finishing on whatever planet the new covert is on. We'll get to that shortly, but I'll run through the Coruscant stuff right now. So on Coruscant, Dr. Pershing we know from the very beginning of the show is living and working there as a part of a new Republic amnesty program for former Imperials. 
Elia from uh, Moff Gideon's ship is there too, like we referenced earlier. Uh, Dr. Pershing is, of, of course, grateful. He talks about that, but he's, he's bummed that he can't continue his cloning research. We learn that he became a scientist, tells a little bit of backstory here, because his mother died of an organ failure. It was pretty vague, right? They didn't say specifically. Mm-hmm. And turns out that could have been prevented with organ cloning tech, which they don't go into deeply. And, 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 you know, it's kind of vague in terms of like the timing, but basically he pursues that line of research and school and everything and becomes a doctor and a scientist like a lot of people do. You know, you lose somebody, then you want to go do work to make sure that no one else has to experience that, right? Elia offers to help Pershing continue his research by taking him to a New Republic scrapyard to get some lab equipment from a decommissioned Star Destroyer. This is a shot from one of the trailers, right? Yeah. When they first pull up on, on the Star Destroyers? Uh, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Turns out it was a trap. It's a trap. There's even a thing. It's great. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely a thing. She had called the New Republic police ahead of time. New Republic authorities take Pershing in for a, quote, treatment to remove traumatic memories, essentially. They're, they're kind of vague there, too. Like, they don't say that they're removing memories, but they're removing the trauma, basically, is how they say it. Uh, from his brain using an Imperial Mind Flare, sick D&D reference. Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, it's safe at a lower voltage, slashy face. The technician walks out, leaves Ilya there in the control room. She cranks up the voltage which apparently, like, it's wiping his mind, minimum, right? He might be yeah. completely screwed like Nick's girlfriend in Andor from this whole experience. Who knows? But it ends with that, and it leaves the question, I mean, we, we could try to answer it right now. Is she doing this because of any potential information that he could leak, imperial information, you know, imperial sympathizer information, stuff about Gideon, mm-hmm. or does she have some other ulterior motive? Yeah. That was when I was, uh, when it was like 2 a.m. and I was putting some notes uh, together. I almost wanted to put in there, who does number two work for? And just <laughs> leave it at that so you guys saw it. <laughs> I, I really do wonder if, you know, I mean, that's a big discussion of, of this episode is what was her motive with that? Is she still imperial? Like, is, is there something else? Is she protecting the New Republic? Like, to stop him from... Uh, continuing to want to do his cloning research. So big question. I don't know. I don't, I'm on the fence. I really don't know there. I don't think there was enough there to give me enough information to, to figure out whether, what side she's on. Mike. I think the interesting part about this, when we look at Dr. Pershing, I was talking to Phil at HE creative about this this morning. He grabs his ear when he almost like seems uncomfortable or he's lying. Mm -hmm. I think that's his tell. Right. And so Knowing what we're knowing with the Bad Batch, it's quite possible that Pershing himself could be a clone. It's possible that uh, his mother was further connected into the Empire than he. He's not. He's not like an older old dude, right? Like he very right. well could be part of this 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 interest. And I think too, what is making all of this really interesting is that we've only seen Imperials almost acting like the war isn't over, right? Thus far. The integration of Imperials into the New Republic is very much the same echoing what we did after World War II, right? The only reason we got to the moon is because of Nazi rocket science, right? And so we look at all of these cases where like we integrated the best ones who were willing to cooperate and then eventually work with us. And so we're kind of seeing that on display here. And of course, you're going to naturally have people who 
are like, all we have to do is say that we're on their side now and that we can just continue to be us. Like we're going underground again, like no problem. And that mm-hmm. actually happened uh, in Argentina and all of these safe havens for the Nazis to go. Yeah. So it's very interesting. And I think in her particular case, she is protecting Gideon. Uh, I think we we knew that for her to say that I was in command and I'm sorry, I walked by you so many times that I never asked your name. Well, clearly, I think he's on the side of being like, I just want to get my work done so that I can pursue my own passion of figuring out, like unlocking the secrets of the Kaminoans. She's like, I'm still Empire, baby. Like, mm-hmm. we're, we got knocked off. We're still going there, you know? And I, I think I think that was obvious here. She's working for Gideon or one of the other warlords. You know, there's very... I mean, I don't think Gideon was the only one. I think I think that level of ships that came to Kalevala, Gideon was not the only guy out there with an arsenal. Like, whoever yeah. sent those, that was a stack. He had Thai bombers, Thai interceptors. Uh, this was someone who's very well-connected and clearly very well-stocked. So the empire is still very strong. That got me thinking. What if she is imperial still? Why would she? Wouldn't her job necessarily? Wouldn't it be to continue the cloning for Palpatine? I think it was to protect, and I think that there's. We're going to find that there's other what they've been working on already. In we saw it in the Navarro outpost uh, when they went mm-hmm. and trashed the Navarro. They had the tubes up with all the projects in it. Remember that? Yeah. I think there's. I think this project, the Snoke Initiative, if we call it that, I think has well mm-hmm. surpassed Pershing. I think Pershing was one factor of it, inquiring, you know, just working on his own his own research within it. Mm-hmm. And side note to your point, Adam, about when they're leaving the opera house, you love how rich people were like. I want to talk to this guy in case something happens to me and you can grow myself from an organ and I can live forever. But we're just glad you're on our side because that would be horrible if we give that to other people who are less fortunate. Mm. Yeah, don't give it to the gross poor people. Yeah, we don't need that. But we're just glad you're on our side. (sighs) Pieces of shit. All right, let's do a little synopsis of the Bo and Din stuff. Like I said, we pick up where we left off in the Mines of Mandalore. Din Djarin and Bo-Katan on the shore of the living waters. Din wakes up. Bo's just sitting there like beside herself. She asks him, like we said, if, if you saw anything down there, he says no. She doesn't tell him about the mythosaur. On their way out, they have a run-in with a ton of TIE fighters, like Mike mentioned. Big dogfight scene, super badass. They make it back to Kalevala just to get Din's N1 starfighter. Like they're mid-battle and they're like, let's get there. Like Mike said, he like base jumps out of the freaking thing basically. Gets the N1 just in time, but ultimately, even though they kind of win the little battle, the TIE bombers show up and they bomb out Bo-Katan's castle. It's gone. It's screwed. Her house is gone. She's homeless. So Din takes her to the covert. He gives the armorer a vial of water from the living waters, which proves he bathed in it. She pours it in this straight up witch's brew type stuff. It's like, yep, that's the right stuff. Bo-Katan was a witness. She also bathed in it. Neither of them have taken off their helmets. So... They're both redeemed, both restored as Mandalorians, and Bo-Katan goes along with it. But to note, when she shows up, and who's the first person to come out? Paz Vizsla, Mm -hmm. House Vizsla, he says, who are you? He doesn't know anything about her, right? He knows that Din's story, he's apostate, blah, blah, blah. But she says, I'm Bo-Katan of House Kreez, and he immediately, he calls her Night Owl. Mm -hmm. But then she says her name of who she is, and he says, you're also an apostate. He didn't ask about her helmet, which means that the Kreez name is tainted among the other Mandalorians. So we're going to get into that. (laughs) But I'm just saying that was important to know. 
there, there's going to be something. There's going to be a big standoff. There's going to be a thing with him. It's, it's brewing. It's going to be good. Should we discuss any further or let the Den of Antiquities kind of take us there? Yeah, let's do that. All right, Den of Antiquities. Here we go. Hey, everyone. We want to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast, Roosevelt's. You may know Roosevelt's as the company who makes those rad, all-over print button-downs with just about every franchise that you love. They, of course, have Star Wars, because this is a Star Wars podcast, but they also have Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, NASA, WWE, The Office, Nickelodeon, Rick and Morty, Friends, all kinds of other stuff, including new lines from Yellowstone and The Godfather. And not just button-downs, but t-shirts. They do shorts, jackets, hoodies, koozies, flannels, so many different kinds of items, so many dope designs. So if you're interested in picking something up for the first time, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER to get 20% off of your first purchase. It is the dark saber. It's a Kalikori. A Sith wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. Mike, you want to take us through this one? Okay, the Den of Antiquities is rich and it's deep, especially for prequels fans uh, and for people who have done some reading among Star Wars. And alcoholics. Definitely, definitely a good a good day to drink in Star Wars. Uh, so the first thing that, of course, us people who have ever partied before recognize are those silly little buzz ball pre-mixed cocktails that you got to peel off <laughs> that are in a convenient shape that you can stack them up. When Pershing shows up on Coruscant, uh, they offer him one, and it seemed like it was like a seven up, like a milky white kind of a yeah. drink. It's like absinthe. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was something. <laughs> so if you are going Oy, to the liquor store this absinthe. weekend. <laughs> Absinthe. Uh, if you're going to the liquor store this weekend to pick up some buzz balls, go ahead and take a picture of it because you are a Star Wars now. One of the drinks uh, that asks, says like, well, first of all, they have glowing popsicles. Can we just appreciate that for a second? I want one of those. Those are fun. Glow pops that looked awesome. Um, Very but she said after uh, she kind of tricks Pershing into uh, almost touching the umate, <laughs> she the droid comes over and it's like, don't touch that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she goes, hey, let's go get a proton fizzle, which many people were assuming is a drink at Galaxy's Edge, but it's actually from Droids, the animated show, and they mention it in there. So that is a good deep cut reference that seems like it should be at Galaxy's Edge, and I'm sure before the year's end, we'll get a proton fizzle in there. Is it proton or photon? Photon. Dang it. That'll do. Okay, that's fine. Okay. So let it be known, us Star Wars fans having a Star Wars podcast, we are occasionally <laughs> wrong most of the time. So there we go. Put that at the top. 60% of the time, we're wrong all the time. <laughs> that's right. Sex Panther. All right. Um, <laughs> Tong's Day. Tong's Day was the original sentient species considered to be the first Mandalorians uh, referenced in the Star Wars Tales of the Jedi comic book that came out, I believe, in 2015. Uh, So the festival of Tong's Day also had the March of the Resistance playing as carnival music in the background. Pretty cool to hear John Williams score up in here. That was so sick. Uh, So that's pretty cool. Uh, Of course, if you're... And you know what I say, keep the tongs in Tong's Day. (laughs) (laughs) 
I've actually heard you say that many times, Adam. That's fantastic yeah. that you're you're here to bring it. Um, if you're if you're of course wondering where the heck we've last seen tie interceptors, uh, we saw the evolution of the tie silencer, which is what Kylo Ren flies. But the tie interceptor from Return of the Jedi that's uh, mo- more maneuverable. It's faster. It's kind of like a, a tie fighter on speed that was meant to kind of be opposite the uh, rebellion's A wing. There are some of the coolest damn ships. And then we also have TIE bombers that we saw in the Night of a Thousand Tears. But most importantly, we remember them from Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Still definitely working, doing their thing. An interesting part for us costumers out there is that the officer... Wait, dude, before you move on, is it just me or were there also TIE advanced V1s like uh, from Rebels in there with the the rounded wings? Uh, I saw that was from uh, those... Those were when they land when they came to intercept Pershing getting off the star star destroyer. Okay. Yeah, because it's like the glass front, and they're kind of almost like uh, you know, basically like uh, I can't remember that exact spe- that exact. I'm gonna look it up. The the ones I'm thinking of are the ones in Rebels where they they're concerned about them being developed. They're like the, you know they have uh, hyperdrive. No, no, the Tie Defender. No, they're 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 called Tie Advanced. V1 and it's it's a standard ball cockpit, but then it's a gently rounded Vader's TIE fighter. Uh, these are like the precursor to that. Uh. They're in Rebels. Remember this? I, Look up TIE Advanced on Wikipedia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Prototype. Oh, used by the Inquisitors. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. I didn't see those personally, but I did see um, we saw them in Rebels uh, that kind of like security ship that has the big glass front to it that almost has like a tie fighterish kind of a feel to it uh that's what they were that's what they were flying to pick up intercept uh pershing as he was escaping from mm. the star destroyer so i thought that was pretty cool yeah nice. yeah like to see that i thought the interesting part of the uniforms that are in as part of the rehabilitation program are essentially just recolored imperial officers uniforms just in blue mm-hmm. i think that was kind of a uh Maybe a callback to how the fact that, you know, again, we talked about this in actual world history. We adopted many of the of the scientists and people, strategists uh, from opposing forces, use their brains. And so the idea of just are people actually different or do we just put them in different clothes? Something to think about. But um, it has a... Uh, uh, there's a the the badge that they're putting on them that Pershing has is like a a big A on there, uh, and I I thought it was pretty cool to see that. So it's still very much imperial, and I think that's kind of like a little nod to being like you know New Republic Empire. Are we that different in many ways? I guess we'll figure it out. But I thought that was a nice visual nod right there. And then the rank badge on somebody else. It was just like the ones we saw from the original trilogy that are just the steel or aluminum square with with an acrylic little circle. It's almost like dice, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So they have those, those are the rebellion rank badges. So it's kind of nice to see that be flipped over too. Yeah. The, uh, Unmate is the, the highest mountain peak on Coruscant. Um, it was talked about how it was built around in, uh, the light of the Jedi and the high Republic. Really Mm -hmm. cool to see that. And one of the other things that I thought was interesting, well, if you've read aftermath of the bloodline stories, um, they talk a lot about, the decoration of the of the the new republic in Coruscant and hanging these huge banners with these logos on them, uh, so it was really cool to see that too. Uh, and then, of course, I think the last one that we have mentioned here 
We'll go back and watch it and realize we miss a ton of stuff, so I apologize to our listeners. But the Imperial Codes that Pershing is clearing out is, just like in Rogue One, the data disk that has the Death Star plans on it. Yes. Um, a couple of different variations, but when he gets that tray and it shows all of them, you can see exactly that that's the same one that Leia puts inside of R2. So nice little throwback there. Nice little throwback. All right, weekly Den of Antiquities challenge. Who's going to be f- the first maker to make those new variants <laughs> and throw them up on Etsy? <sighs> I'm going to say... Or throw them out to the community. Man, I'm going to say Dr. Sci-Fi... Darren Mosier's been pretty damn good at it lately. I'm going to also say, uh, but you know, like again, we challenged Raimi from the Dad Batch to make uh, Echo's mining blaster, her little... Oh, Omega's thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I made it in like two nights. So Raimi's going to listen to this and go, oh, geez, here we go. (laughs) So Let's make it harder. They have to make it, put it on Etsy, sell it, ship it, and send us the tracking number as proof. (laughs) Before the next episode. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Uh, Last thing we mentioned before, we'll mention more specifically, it's a trap line. Oh, yeah. That's a trap. (laughs) So who says the line? Uh, Pershing. Pershing says it's a trap, and then it cuts to the Mon Cala, and he's just standing there with his hands. (laughs) And he tilts his head like, what? Yeah. That's great. There's uh, There's some more little lines and little like nuggets like that that, that we left out but it's uh stuff we'll touch on later i'm sure when we do a, a big wrap up because mm-hmm. they really went for it in this episode with the east i mean coruscant is like again it's just like a cornucopia of all the stuff, stuff that you can it do. looks so okay i wanted to make this point earlier and i'll make it quick but think about how coruscant looks i know it's different eras but i think this has to do more with production than storytelling think about how coruscant looks in andor versus this episode like it looks prequely in this episode and yeah. in andor it does not you know like it's it's interesting how they they're both showing the same city when technically andor is closer to the prequels technically yeah but the production of it i think on purpose looks more prequely in in, in uh, this episode but there is the stuff in the the amnesty housing, right? Is mm-hmm. that what it's called? Yeah. That stuff looks a lot like Cyril Khan's mom's apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. There was almost a, I think there was a shot in one of the apartments that was almost like a direct updated model of Padme's apartment. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, it's all volume stuff, obviously, and they're, they're not going to those same locations or sets, but they're modeling it after it. Mm-hmm. It's really well done, and it's got that same, like stark kind of like post-World War II utilitarian, like almost like socialist modernism kind of feel to it in those apartments. Yeah, brutalist architecture. Yeah, love that stuff. I love it. And it's just all like the concrete and the textures and it's great. And you wonder how much of it they're they're able to swap assets from Andor's CGI yeah. to flip over to, you know, Mandalorian's going to use it too. So the modelers are basically working double time for both shows, but it's like they're clearly both benefiting from it because we've gone to Coruscant now how many times? And we didn't even touch it in the sequel trilogy. So mm. pretty sweet. Last thing, and then we'll move on to I Love You, I Know. Again, talking about the Andor references and the Andor similarities, Cyril Karn's bummed out corporate job first day kind of vibe in the cubicles same exact thing here with Pershing. Yeah. It makes me wonder if that's the same building repurposed. You know, if it's meant to be the same, what was it? The Imperial, what was it called? Where he was, it was in processing or something, right? When he was in those cubicles and it, it zoomed out and, it, mm-hmm. you know, 
when he basically lost his humanity and his corporate job. But it was basically like a like a Empire DMV, wasn't it? Essentially, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. Same kind of vibe with what Pershing's doing. You know, just processing scrap, pushing papers for uh for scrapping. Right. It's all about the like higher purpose individuality. Like he's going through the same crap coming out of the empire, going into the new Republic as this dude was trying to serve the empire as that was coming up, you know, to just like repeating the same mistakes. It's really smart writing. All right, let's move on to, I love you. I know. I love you. I know. Favorite scenes, favorite quotes, favorite moments. Nick, do you have some stuff from the patrons? Yeah, Maddie Gunner says his favorite moment was all the Imperials sitting together reminiscing. It also made me think of the line in, in Glorious Bastards. We like our Nazis in uniform. That way you can spot them just like that. <laughs> Great. Uh, my favorite line ties into this. It's at the theater when that one character talks about the Empire, Rebels, and New Republic all being the same. They use the same methods, just a different face. Good point. NATO Potato says, when Grogu tries to say this is the way, did that, did that happen? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's in the back and they both looked back at him. Why don't I remember that? I oh, it was, it was subtle, but it was there and I laughed. Yeah, Bo-Katan asks Din something and he's like, he I, says, suppose, I suppose you're not going to take off your helmet now. Yeah, and he just says, like, this, this is, is the way. way. And she goes, this is the way. And Grogu goes, <laughs> it's amazing. I can't believe we haven't brought it up till now. It's so good. Oh, my God. Oh my god! But they look at each other like, "Did he just try to say that?" Yeah, did he say that. I feel like the last episode of this season, he's going to say something. I think everyone's favorite ep- everyone's favorite part of the episode that we're also not talking about is R five just getting literally unhinged. He's not hooked oh, in, yeah. just flying <laughs> yeah. around the back of Bogotan's ship. Wow! <laughs> yeah, right. He's like, yeah. he's like, basically trying to be like, "I'm back here," and she's like, "Oh, you'll be fine." He's just like, boom, yeah. boom, boom. <laughs> NATO Potato also says when Dr. Pershing says it's a trap and then looks at them on Calamari. Yeah, that was that was high comedy. Uh, Logie Wan Kenobi says Bo-Katan's redemption, the emotion portrayed without being able to see her face was on par with what we're used to seeing in Din. Looking at the inanimate helmet while the armorer told her she was redeemed just spoke volumes. Yeah, I mean, between music and body language, I mean, the the acting without seeing anybody's face, any Mandalorian's face sometimes is top-notch. It's impressive. Most impressive. Nice. Brian, a.k.a. Bananakin, his favorite moment was the starship dogfight. Not only was the wing over from Mando sick with that nosedive, but also when Bo uses her wing as a rudder to sail to create drag and turn the ship around. Very cool. Elaine LeBlanc says Bo's slick one fin U-turn and R5's little floater on the way down. Uh, yeah, great. Mike, what was your favorite moment, quote, or scene? I've been lobbying for a Top Gun Star Wars, and I mean, I want a ship go fast, all right? I want to see <laughs> ship go fast. Uh, so seeing Bo and Din work together to take out those TIE Interceptors, just seeing that done so well and it's like you know it wasn't like a it's not at night like space is dark right we usually see that but like this was in a beautiful setting over what looked like scottish highlands and and these flying through these fjords and i'm like this was insane so we did get some really great plot points this time we got some really great moments i loved all the little details of like the packaging on the biscuits and all that i'm like i'm here for it but damn 
a dogfight in that level, mm-hmm. I'm like, let's go. That was my favorite. Hard to hard to beat it. Nick, how about you? Um, I know we we touched on it a little bit. This isn't necessarily like something that I would call my favorite moment, but the moment that got the most emotion out of me was Bo Katan's reaction to her castle being bombed. That I had chills, like mm. straight up chills, the same way I had chills when like Luke walked in, you know, like I, I, there was just something in the acting and the cinematography of that, that really came across to me. And I, I got, I got emotional. I mean, that's her second home that got blown up. She was helpless. Her entire planet got blown up. She was helpless (laughs) and angry. Well, I guess it's not really her home, but her people's home got blowed up. Now her castle got blowed up. Yeah. I'm going to go with that just because of the physical reaction I had to it. Yeah. It's really sinking in now how much we're watching Clone Wars and Rebels in live action Mm -hmm. with that kind of stuff. Even just hearing the words Night Owl said is like, wow, dude, all all those little bits like that where it means so much more to those of us who have watched all the animation. It's great shit. Mm -hmm. My favorite though, I mean, I said it at the top. How do you you compete with that dogfight? How does anything compete with that? It's just... (laughs) For every reason everyone has said, every reference everyone has made, I love it. And Favreau, I'm assuming on the page, he wrote the blocking of how the ship would climb and it would drop and pull that Iron Man move again, which I'm sure he borrowed from some other awesome thing. It just, it had me amped. I was on four and a half hours of sleep, sitting in my bed in my Star Wars robe, pumped, just pumped right from the top. So that's my favorite. But honorable mention to the very last scene, and again, Bo-Katan's or whoever was in the helmet at the time, Katie Sackhoff or, or, or one of the stunt actors, Lauren Mary Kim is doing her stunts, right? No, it's uh, Caitlin Duchelle is doing most of the sword fighting, and then Joanna Bennett is uh, her other fighting stunt. Oh, that's right. That's double, right. Who, is, who also right. was the female Tuscan in Book of Boba Fett. That's right. So probably Katie Sackhoff. Either way, the mask work that we keep referencing so good at the end and also how like they're, they're all kind of welcoming them in, you know, cause this is the way, even though they have beef with all these things and they're, they're, people were disgraced and people have grudges, whatever. It was like, welcome back. And she just kind of had this, like, am I doing this? Am I doing stunned? This? Yeah. Stunned mm-hmm. kind of body language. Like, okay, <laughs> I guess I'm in a cult now. The armor did say that she could leave whenever she wanted. So maybe she was just like, yeah, yeah whatever. Let's see how this goes. I'll write it out. I'll taste test the Kool-Aid. We'll see. (laughs) All right. We are going to get out of here so I can edit and try to get a couple hours of sleep before I have to go to the airport in the morning. Patrons, thanks, as always, for being patrons. And thanks for your comments. If you're a Jedi or Jedi Council tier patron, you can always put your favorite scenes and quotes, etc. in the Jedi Business channel. Mark it as a spoiler, putting this out there for anyone who doesn't pay that much attention to Discord. Every Wednesday morning when you watch, throw your stuff in there. We'll check it out. I always ask anyway, but put it in there. And if you're not a patron, go be a patron. Patreon.com slash ThankTheMakerPod. Follow this podcast at ThankTheMakerPod on TikTok and Instagram. Mike, Nick, me, Princess and Scoundrel, everybody, they're always tagged in all of those posts. So go find us there. It's also in the show notes. Got to wrap it up. Get out of here. I love all of you. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, dudes. Thanks, patrons. And until next week, may the force be with you.
If you enjoy Thank the Maker, you can support us by following and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Or you can support us directly at patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod, where you can get access to our Discord server, exclusive content, exclusive merch, our recording live stream, and more. Our patrons quite literally make Thank the Maker possible. <laughs>